Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Loved Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, him, George Belshaw, and also him, Alvin Betton. Loads to talk about this week, so I won't beat around the bush too much. But we'll, of course, be talking uh, Labour Cup, Dominic Team. That girl, Emma Raducanu, Andy Murray, Liam Brody, Annette Konzovite, and Suwu Kwan. Yes, him. Uh, but there is only one place to start this week. Uh, it is the big team tournament. We're not talking about the other big team tournament that took place in the uh, US uh, in terms of golf. We're talking about the Labour Cup, uh, basically because Europe won that and they didn't win the golf by any stretch of the imagination. So we're going to say no more about it. Um, it was a comprehensive victory for Europe on every possible level, really. The only disappointment might be that they didn't complete a clean sweep of results. It was 14-1 when they stopped the fight. They didn't even bother with any of the singles matches uh, on Sunday, as is their won't. Uh, the only Team World members to win a match were the doubles pairing of John Isner and Denis Shapovalov, and that was in a Champions tiebreak against Berrettini and Alexander Zverev. I mean, there are so many statistics that are pretty damning for... Team World and, and pretty celebratory for Team Europe. George, overall, pretty disappointing to be quite so one-sided, even if we did think it would be. Yeah, I mean, there was the odd match that was kind of quite entertaining and quite close. But um, on the whole, you have to say it kind of went as we suspected it might, that Europe have a lot better players. And I kind of said last week... This would be a really good time for Shapovalov or Felix to kind of step up and show they're the same level as guys like Medvedev, Zverev and co. And let's be honest, that just didn't happen at all. Um, I think when you factor in the issue that the novelty of having, say, a Federer-Nadal pairing or a Federer-Djokovic pairing in the doubles wasn't there, that wasn't as good... uh, bench interaction from what I've seen I'd, I'd say there were like less viral clips than previous years I don't know if that's a fair 
a kind of a sweeping generalization, but normally I see a lot more things come out um, that I didn't really pick up on so much this year. Um, yeah. Well, to coin a phrase, if you live by the meme, you die by the meme. And that there wasn't a lot of sort of memeable moments, uh, as you mentioned. That the most viral one was um, <laughs> Riley, Riley Apelka uh, firing a jibe at Alexander Zverev in a sort of private moment with John McEnroe, which kind of is the only thing that that penetrated. I happened to, I happened to follow Jack Sock on Instagram, uh, and I saw a bit from him, but that, that's kind of about it. Uh, there was Riley Apelka doing a quite funny impression of Jack Sock in the dressing room. He was sort of like, you know, smoke, you know, Jack Sock has that very specific forehand, very sort of whippy low thing. And he was impersonating that in the dressing room and then played a backhand and he just sort of half swung at it, um, which kind of made me laugh. Um, but yeah, it didn't have that kind of... Was, very, was niche that? Tennis, very niche tennis chat, that, isn't it? In terms of yeah. a, a viral audience. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's not far. quite Federer and Nadal playing doubles together. Uh, Roger Federer did turn up. It is, of course, his tournament. And so he blagged a visa and turned up in Boston, sat with Andy Roddick one day and had a bit of a chat. That, that, that's just reminded me, I totally left that off the schedule. He gave a bit of an injury update, didn't he? <laughs> he just completely reminded me that probably should have put that in there. It's been a busy week. I mean, that is, poten- that is potentially the biggest news to come out of the Labour <laughs> Cup, isn't it? Is Roger Federer turning up and talking about why he's not playing and, and when he's not playing. Uh, we will come on to that, but I suppose we should give the Labour Cup a little bit of prominence, even if we don't think it's a, a hugely important tournament. Um, Calvin, you will have been delighted to see Nick Kyrgios offer absolutely nothing, I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I would say about Team World is, like, they might be better off not selecting part-time tennis players all the time. <laughs> like, they had two players there in Kyrgios and Sock who, I mean, objectively, I've no idea why either of them were there. I mean, at least Sock plays a bit and he's quite a good doubles player, but just just absolutely nothing. He, uh, like, I think somebody... Look, <laughs> The problem with this format is that, like, obvious. The obvious problem is that Europe are just miles better than the rest <laughs> of the world. But I think questions ought to be at, like, I wonder when they ask a question of like, is John McEnroe really that good a captain? Because he's now <laughs> four in a row, and he keeps just selecting the same players, like, time and time again. Um, but yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, curious. And then I saw him giving some quotes again. Like, I saw him give his interview again. Um, about how he doesn't like um, playing tennis and this might be his last year ever. And yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think Calvin's just like stumbled on such a great point there. Like the validity of this thing is nothing. So when you take out the exhibition and the fun side of it, you're in a real spot of bother. And then if on top of that, it's not competitive, then I, I think you're just in a world of pain as a format of the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we kind of said last week, what's the obvious solution when you've got such a poor balance between Europe and uh, the world is you bring in the women who perhaps have a much better balance and could make it a lot more competitive. Um, and I also think that solves a big problem on the virality in terms of we know stuff like the Hotman Cup, where you get Federer and Serena together, that works really well. So to me, that's a really obvious next step for the Labour Cup, because I think this is in danger of becoming fairly irrelevant fairly quickly if they don't make some strong strides soon. I think as well, yeah. I mean, I think the problem is as well that we already know that just because of how tennis works, the nature of it and that kind of thing, we know it's not going to be any different next year either. It's not feasible that, you know, there are certain players who could step up. Like, for example, best case scenario, let's let's say for Team World, is that 
Felix maybe steps up a level. Um, he's probably the most likely, and he becomes one of the best, one of the top four or five players in the world. Or I don't think it'd be Shapovalov, and maybe Del Potro gets himself back to to where he was when he comes back. But mm. knowing what Del Potro's body's like, is he really going to fancy an exhibition in the middle of when he's trying to cut down his tournament season? But but even then, if if Felix turns into one of the top five players in the world. And Del Potro comes back to, to being a, a good player, and he's and he wants to play. You'd still make Europe a fairly strong favourite, providing. I mean, even if Djokovic doesn't play, you'd probably still think that that Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and possibly Team are their top four players, and then Berrettini as well. You you'd probably say that the good thing the Labour Cup has in its favour next year, perhaps, is it's in London which is coming off the back of losing the ACP finals. I suspect there still is a bit of a crowd for indoor tennis who are perhaps going to lose it this year and might jump at the chance next year. But, I mean, that is the only mild positive I can see for next year at the moment. And, and the other question I was just going to raise in terms of the simple solution, and I put that in inverted commas, I'm suggesting by bringing the women in, if the placement in the calendar remains the same, it seems quite a lot of the tour is just sacking the tour off after the US Open now. Are people going to actually really want to turn up straight after the US Open? Um, it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a trend for the top guys. Uh, and if so, I, I think that may also need a rethink. Can we slot this? You know, there's talk about the ATP Cup and the Davis Cup now in talks to merge. Is the Labour Cup's future jumping in at the start of the season? perhaps, if they keep the Davis Cup at the end. I think the the, the advantage the Labour Cup has is it's not that much tennis. Like, with the greatest of respect, OK, if you get battered 14-1, you definitely save yourself a bit of energy because you don't have to play on the Sunday. But, you know, the most matches anyone played was John Isner, who played two doubles matches and a singles match. You know, it's not a huge amount of tennis. And realistically, no, no one else really did that, right? Yeah, and they pay well, like... Players are picking up 250,000 minimum, I think, something like that. Um, I think you'll always have a bit of a benefit when it's in Europe. Um, I think, depending whether it's in America or somewhere else, players, even though it's not much tennis, they won't really fancy flying over to, I don't know where it could be, like maybe America every year or China or somewhere like that, or definitely mm. won't be in Australia, will it? But South America, I don't think... They fancy this. This year is a bit of an anomaly because there's the tournament in San Diego and there's Indian Wells, so it's not that much of a change for a lot of the players. But I think maybe in Europe they'll keep playing it. But I can't. I honestly can't see it carrying on in its in its format as it is now beyond next year. And I think next year will be pretty rubbish as well, if I'm honest. If we, if we, I mean, just to bring in the listeners, you know, you mentioned George um, getting the women in. That was the result of our poll. Most people said that they would rather see the women in. Um, uh, rather than really any other reaction to it. Um, someone, Andy Andy the Butts, one of my followers, uh, suggesting, imagine 2022, Radicanu, Torsten, Shontek versus Andrescu, Fernandez, Goff. I think that probably disregards quite a significant number of the uh, better players in women's tennis and maybe is a bit too next-gen for me. But uh, it's certainly, you know, it, it's something worth considering. Um, just to mention a few other things from, from our, our Twitter poll we put out there. Rosemary G said, I've enjoyed it in the past, not so much this year due to the one-sided nature, of course. 
she says, I think the cloud hanging over the event did not help. I assume she's referring to Alexander Zverev. Um, interestingly, she says the second Battle of the Brits from 2020 was a much better event and showed how to mix it up. Um, I don't know if anyone can offer some insight into the exact format that was, but I can't remember. No? It was, um, it was the team one. I thought, I mean, I'd have to strongly disagree that I thought that was absolute nonsense. That, that <laughs> where, they had, where they had 20 players from the same country and randomly just divided them into two made-up teams. Um, that, but that's, uh, so that's the, I think we said this last week, I would actually be vaguely oh. on board with that. Well, you just bring 20 players and Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe pick their favourites and then, but I suppose you lose a bit of the camaraderie. Um, I, yeah. the, the, real travesty, the real travesty is that Christian Garin didn't play. World number 17, Team World wouldn't pick him. What's he got to do? <laughs> I mean, they said yeah. that they thought the court was going to be quicker than what it was, didn't they? And um, I think that's maybe why. But then I don't know why they thought that because every time you lay a brand new hard court, it tends the, the the high likelihood is that it tends to be slow. Right. So I don't know why they thought it would be quicker than what it was. But um, yeah, I mean, it, we know why they didn't pick him because John McEnroe picks the same players all the time. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> why, why change a losing formula, Calvin? <laughs> <laughs> Fifth time lucky next year. Is it is number five next year or four? He's just one? he's just following the data. He's just following the science. John <laughs> McEnroe, he, he's done. He's run the numbers. Pat McEnroe's run the numbers. He spends all year doing this. Pat McEnroe. He just crunches the numbers, and then you know they follow the science. And you know you can't be results orientated with these things. I, th- I think the two things that we could assume. The three things that we can assume next year is that Europe will win easy. Uh, yeah. Jack Sock and Nick Kyrgios will both be in the team. And Nick Kyrgios will give an interview saying he doesn't think he'll play next year because he's fed up at tennis and he doesn't know how long he'll play tennis for. And <laughs> I make the same prediction for 2023 as well. The exact same three predictions. <laughs> okay, I, I think I, broad, I saw some comment this week on our Twitter broadly supporting your Axis powers suggestion, James. So that's uh... Yes, someone was very much in favour of Roger Federer being the referee because he's Swiss. Um, and yeah, allies versus Axis powers. But actually, <laughs> I, 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 contra- I kind of contradicted myself on that because in my head, Russia are an Axis power. And I get, I mean, I and I, I didn't study history, so I don't know whether that's technically true. But I would kind of lump lump them in with Japan and Germany, uh, or you know, and maybe anyone they invaded. I mean, like one of the other things was like we so we tend to look at the singles players on this, right? But like, why don't why don't Team World have the two Colombian lads playing for the doubles? Like, like they they bring Jack Sock in to play doubles, and like, yeah, he's, he's a good doubles player, but he's ranked about. T- I don't know, 25 in the world doubles or something like two Colombian yeah, lads. Been like, yeah, they've been like top three in the world for like the last five years. Like, why don't mm. they play? Like, if yeah, they or, Ra- or Rajiv Ram for that matter, or Bruno Suarez. Rajiv Ram, Bruno Suarez, people like that. It's just a joke of an event. Yeah, and I guess this is coming back to your uh, validity. If, if this was a valid event, people would seriously question the captain choices because it's been proven time and time again. John Isner may have a massive serve, but that's not winning in many doubles matches at the minute. Let's actually mm. be specialists. And if you won all the doubles matches, you'd get a fairly decent. I, I mean, you get you get a six hundred percent increase on Team World's points tally <laughs> from this year. That, that's for certain. I'm, I'm just going to put. I'm going to put. I'm going to put a couple of women's teams out there. Right. Um, courtesy of someone on Twitter who's put them together. 
Is this uh, a year allies or world? What's that? No, no, no. This is along the current rules because the women's is a bit more balanced. So Team World, Barty, Osaka, Sophia Kennan, which I might question, uh, Andreescu, Serena and Leila Fernandez, which is a bit recency biased, but yeah, why not? And then uh, Team Europe, Sabalenka, uh, Pliskova, Shontek, Krajikova, Svitolina, and Raducanu. There you go. There's a team out there for you. Who wins? Coco Goff as well. She's definitely. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, there's a lot. There's a lot of depth out there. Who wins? While well, I go and take something out of the oven. Discuss. Um, I assume that they'd have to be matched in with the men's. though, wouldn't it? it? Wouldn't just be a women's team. They'd do be... doubles matches and then, but if they're in the yeah. singles matches, if it was a purely women's one, I guess James can clarify what he means, but. Presumably, we're talking about mel- melding, welding. Yeah, if it was purely women, you'd have to think that's pretty close contest, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, not sure. I, really, I'd probably not really sure why Serena Williams gets in there, but um, yeah, I'd probably maybe on the Jack Sock rule. I'd probably back World to be honest at the minute. I think Asaka and Barty. Yeah. On a, on a good hardcore, I'd, I'd pick them to to win. But yeah, I think it, it sounds a lot closer and a better watch than the men's one. So maybe. Yeah. Federer should uh, switch to the WTA. Like, I mean, that's never going to happen, is it? Realistically, like, so, so the tournament is owned by the by Federer's company, by Tennis Australia, by the USTA, and by this Brazilian billionaire um, whose name I can never remember. But he only has a very small part of it. But anyway, he has, he's involved. My impression, I guess, the USTA would be quite keen, but they have quite a, a sort of minority shareholding of the tournament. I can't imagine Tennis Australia would be that keen to involve the WCA. Well, I mean, the thing is that they're all kind of investors rather than, apart from Team A, I would say Team A are the, the serious... Managing company. shareholders. But they've got golf, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I think we said this before, this format is going to be in big trouble when Federer, Djokovic and Nadal go, and this has been a kind of foresight into it because... People ultimately don't give a crap about the rest of the men's players as it is at the minute. And they may well develop that interest. But the reason it's so good as a format is because of how those three interacted. And that's how it kind of worked. Like the novelty of them playing doubles together, them sitting on the bench, you know, Nadal getting up and cheering Federer winning a point. But that doesn't happen like overnight. And the rivalries for these other guys just aren't there yet on a global stage. But if you bring the women in as well, that actually bridges the gap because people are generally interested in sport between the interactions between men and women. It's something tennis doesn't do well enough. We've droned on about this long before and I'll stop myself droning now, but it just seems such an obvious win. And they've got the probably the most commercial potential women's player outside of Raducanu, as Calvin knows. Mm. Um, <laughs> In golf, so if we get into Raducanu versus Rihanna again, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop talking <laughs> because I, I can't. I, the, the listeners, you only get sort of forty percent of the Raducanu Rihanna argument because you're not in our WhatsApp group. If you'd like to join the WhatsApp group, you're more than welcome because I, I don't know how much more of that argument I can sit through. But George, you were saying, I, I, I'd basically finished, but you just reminded me we should do our weekly Raducanu. Um, how many follows is she on? And I'm afraid she's stalled at two million this week. So work to do, work to do. Calvin, if this is about Raducanu's Instagram, you're going to get cut off. <laughs> it's not because it's not really much of an argument, is it? Um, as, oh, as no. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
I, th I think what we can say is that like that we can't continue with the three men's team events. Something has to give somewhere or another. We can't have in, in, in a normal year. This year has been a bit different. We didn't get one of them last year. It was a bit different as well. But in a normal year, there's just no point in having ATP Cup, Davis Cup and Labour Cup. And I think even the Hopman Cup's coming back, isn't it? Next year, oh, that's mixed event. But, um, Sorry, I, I I might be being really thick here. Oh, the ATP Cup's the absurd one. They're held in three different Australian cities, and then ended up not yeah. doing that because of COVID, right? Yeah. Pitchens yeah. in a story on that this week actually saying that Davis Cup and ATP Cup are both in quite serious talks about merging those. I, I think those two <laughs> are the most problematic. Like, what what is this merging? It's just going to be the Davis Cup. <laughs> that's what it is what it always was so um not really much of, i mean they're, they're basically the same tournament so um but the big issue, I, I, you know but then, then the labor cup's probably too close to the davis cup by that stage and like yeah i don't know i i can't, it's got it will i'm pretty sure that i know there's there's logistics in it i'm pretty sure that they will end up having to bring the women into it yeah i think so and you know the logistics of the atp cup merging that with the Davis Cup is that, you know, Tennis Australia probably want to keep the ATP Cup there because it's kind of a... a big it's an added game. reason to come to Australia for that, for yeah, that yeah, swing. Yeah, ends their season and they know they're not going to take anyone back later in the year. Um, mm. The Davis Cup had plans to move around. Um, I mean, the, the big challenge of the Davis Cup is the one thing we've lost in all of this was these good home and away ties where you had kind of yeah. these feverish atmospheres. Um, and that... That's well, I'm, I'm kind of quietly. I mean, I'm going to Innsbruck for for the Davis Cup finals where Britain are, because we've also got France and Germany and Serbia in Innsbruck as well, and the Czech Republic, I think. So it could be a bit of a spectacle, and there should be some good matches there, depending on who turns up. And I'm quietly kind of optimistic that with where Innsbruck is, it's in Central Europe. If travel is kind of allowed a bit more, that you might get a few travelling fans. It's a very pretty part of the world, you know. I mean, I'm going on holiday kind of on the back of it. So, I'm. But you're right. It's not the same as having home and away fixtures, and, and they were really special. Um, but I'm quietly confident, even though it's completely insane that they completely rejigged the tournament so they could have the finals all in one place. And now they're going back to being across three cities because they're going Turin, Innsbruck and Madrid in November. I think as well, like George, on your point that Australia want to bring people in there, that as it stands now, they're like at least one year, and I'd say probably at least two years away from actually having anyone in. They yeah. they seem to be yeah. absolutely obsessed with not having anyone in the country. So I can see that just fading away from them. They can't ask everyone to wait three years. I think to that point, it, obviously, Tennis Australia are very keen to have people in. I mean, there's been so much talk about like, should they move the Australian Open out of Australia, for example, this year due to the kind of issues? And Tennis Australia are like, well, absolutely not. As soon as you open the door to a Grand Slam moving to a different country, yeah, you know, a can of worms we're not interested in. So, you know, they're talking about people spending Christmas in quarantine, aren't they? Or like, Well, they're like, doing the qualifying in the Middle East again, and they're going to allow people to do quarantine there. So I suspect almost everyone will take the option to spend Christmas in the Middle East yeah. and then fly out to Australia. Um, yeah, it looks pretty... I mean, I was kind of, again, because I'm thinking about going, talking to uh, someone I play rugby with who's from Australia, and I said, oh, look, I'm thinking of going for work. Like, what do you think it's going to be like? She's like, well, 
there's quite a lot of movement towards relaxing quarantine rules. And she was like, well, I think you might get a, an exemption visa and a seven day quarantine, which from a budgetary point of view is still, you know, problematic. But uh, it was interesting to hear it. It's just that, it, you know, from our point of view is kind of, well, we can plan later in theory, whereas obviously the Australian Open need to get something in concrete relatively soon. Um, so it's a bit more up in the air. Just a final word on most of these events. By the sounds of it, the majority are losing money quite significantly. And at the end of the day, if the if they don't... All these team events, you mean? The team events, yeah. So, um, you know, Mike Dixon's reported that this week from good sources inside that Davis Cup... We, you know, we didn't need Mike Dixon to tell us the Davis Cup was losing money. That's blatantly yeah. obvious. Um, and anyone who believed that Cosmos deal was going to be as fruitful as it was sold to the ITF membership was a uh, needs a good slap around the face with a fish. But the ATP Cup is also struggling, and that's no surprise given the current issues we've just spoken about in terms of getting to Australia. But I think if they kept struggling, it probably does make sense to kind of pool resources and try and just get one event really right rather than having two within six, six weeks of each other that no one's really that keen on in terms of the players. So. Hopefully it resolves itself, but we'll see. I think just closing on that, I think that I think tennis actually has a bit of a problem. I was thinking to myself, tennis has a, a bit of a problem on a wider scale of that, that I don't know whether it's the ticket prices or what, but just when you're looking at these tournaments, and I realise we're living in a, a post-COVID world and everything's not entirely back to normal. This has been the case for about five years now. The stadiums are not full. Uh, at the, mm-hmm. uh, the 250s and the 500s and I remember sort of when I was growing up watching tennis in sort of late mid to late 90s early 2000s even even these events now in arenas in the awesome the the, the European indoor swing the stadiums were packed all the time mm-hmm. and they're just not now I was watching Mets last week and you're looking at like you know sort of 50% full maybe 60% at best and I don't know what the problem is but tennis is going to have a problem whether it's whether it's the tickets are costing too much or they're not marketing it right but it's an issue for them that they've got to start getting fans in the stadiums it's a good job they've got the new Rihanna coming through the doors to save the day (laughs) you honestly I will mute you I will mute you um it's a lovely segue I suppose onto Emma Raducanu she had her homecoming uh, on Friday at the National Tennis Centre here in London. She had, of course, been home for about two weeks, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it was a, a sort of very ch- kid-focused event, uh, very much felt like a legacy event. It was presented by Claire Balding, which for non-UK listeners is about as close as you get to royalty at one of these events. I judge pretty much everything by which BBC woman presents it, and Claire Balding is like the top tier of importance. Yeah, George, are you going to disagree with that? I wasn't. I was going to say, <clears throat> have I told you my Claire Balding tennis story? Um, no, and I'm on tenterhooks. <laughs> well, years ago, well, it was a few years ago now, um, I, there was an invite to go and turn up and uh, what, uh, play a championship tiebreak with Alfie Hewitt, the uh, wheelchair yep. tennis player, um, which I got sent along to go and do and interview him. Have fun. And as I arrived there, who is also taking up this opportunity, but Claire Balding. So I arrived right. to see her having a bash with Alfie Hewitt and then leave the court back in hand, <laughs> quick smoke straight after, <laughs> puffing, uh, looking very out of bra- 
breath and dishevelled. Um, apparently, no one before my arrival had won more than uh, three points against Alfie all day. And how many points did you take off Alfie? Well, out of an injury, James. So I, <laughs> I see. Okay, yeah, ten I, level. I only, got, I only got seven, so I didn't do very well. I mean, I think that I do think that without wanting to get stuck on a tangent, I do think that would be a very interesting sort of thing to do because, yeah. you know, obviously, obviously Alfie's a brilliant tennis player, but he does play a different version of the sport and he is slightly hampered by the fact that he's in a wheelchair. The, the spin's amazing that they developed from kind of that low. Oh, really? Really, really good spin. Um, mm. But yeah, I look. Like, I had my problems. So you let yourself down. I think we, I had, we can I had, all understand. I've got you the look. back of my glute issue. And right. it just wasn't going that well. But yeah, he is very good. And it was very He is. And he is also, and he was part of the homecoming event, of course, because he is also US Open champion. Him and Gordon Reed uh, winning the doubles. Uh, Joe Salisbury was there too, having won two doubles titles. So it was a big celebration of, you know, LTA successes, whatever you think of that. And I know that there are opinions on how much the LTA had to do with some of those successes. Uh, my favourite moment was when one of the kids in the audience asked, um, what each of the players was worst at, what sport each of the players was worst at. And Gordon Reed, without really missing a beat, just said running, which I thought was quite funny for a bloke who obviously spends his life in a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> made me laugh anyway. Emma Raducanu did not have an answer. Uh, she just says she's really good at tennis, which, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, you know, it was it was a, a nice event, I suppose. The Duchess of Cambridge turns up, uh, which is unsurprising, given that she's patron of the... Laund- uh, the um, all England club. She's, you know, quite serious. She, she hit it pretty well, I thought, from the videos I saw. Looks like. Uh, yeah, and cool. and um, Emma Raducanu had a similar opinion. She says she's got a great forehand, um, which you know, I mean, she wasn't going to be like, mm, no, she's quite shit actually. Like, <laughs> can you imagine if she just turned up and was like, Dutch to Cambridge? She's awful. <laughs> like, why was I on court with her? You say that, but I've, I've heard tennis players like. I think we've talked about Dimitrov and Romeo Beckham before, where Dimitrov was asked, is Romeo Beckham good at uh, tennis? Because David had come down and he'd kind of, uh, let Romeo hit with all these guys. And Dimitrov kind of was like... Mm. <laughs> 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 so they can, they can not be uh, the best actors in that situation. But. Yeah. Um, but the most significant news to, to kind of come out of the whole thing was um, Emma kind of confirming what, what we thought, which is that she, she split with uh, Andrew Richardson, Flex, as everyone seems to call him for whatever reason. Apparently they call him Flex because he's very tall. Is that right? Yeah. Right. I don't get it. Well, it's like he's like a piece of wire. He's really tall. <laughs> oh, I see, because he's very bendy. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but yeah, she has a split with him. Uh, she's looking for a new coach. At the moment, he, of course, only got appointed as a coach temporarily and about three months ago after they got rid of Nigel Sears, who was only temporary for Wimbledon and the grass court swing anyway, after they got rid of, I think, Matt James uh, off the top of my head. Um, and, of course, she's done work with Mark Petchy. She, I mean, almost everyone. In, uh, Calvin, you're probably the only British coach I've ever met who doesn't claim to have worked with Emma Adekanu at some point. You need to get that on your CV, I think. Uh, yeah, probably am. Uh, first, uh, just on that first, I'd say on the... The, the event last week, I thought it was a really good way to signify that tennis has opened up and not really a middle-class event by <laughs> having an event presented by Claire Balding, um, <laughs> a member of the royal family there, and uh, Joe Salisbury, who is really posh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's obviously got some. It got a bit of a tension having like Kate Middleton there, but I, I just don't get it why we do these things. But anyway, by the by, yeah, onto the coaching thing. Um, yeah, it was a. I mean, I think we should say it was a strange one because it was always meant to be a temporary thing. It was always meant to be just for the trip to America that she mm. was going with with uh, Andrew Richardson. And I get that, but then you win the you win the U.S. Open, so <laughs> don't you know? The plan don't, can be flexible. Yeah, and but then it's, it's it's surrounding mystery, isn't it, as to what the actual reason was? It seems to be like upsetting one side or another by saying that. I mean, she said she wanted somebody with more experience, but then everyone's going, "Oh no, it was just because he didn't want to travel." Um, well, so uh, yeah, I, I've I've read this as well, and, and my understanding is that it, it's not anything to do with with Flex not wanting to travel, and that he would have happily done it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that was mostly Twitter comments. I, I think you know what she said, and she was quite firm about it, was that she wanted someone with high level WTA experience. Now we know that you know to a certain extent, a lot of this happens through her father Ian, who, who's obviously been through a fair few coaches in his time. But I kind of, and you may disagree, George. I kind of agree with her in that you know if you're going to go and play a couple of wta premier events or top or whatever they bloody call them now you know with the greatest of respect to andrew richardson he doesn't necessarily know much about simona Halep's game or or as much as darren cahill for example might do you see what i mean yeah i mean i I think there's an argument in any walk of life for experience being a good thing my question or response to that would be well you just sacked off an incredibly experienced coach after wimbledon and at the time, mm. that looked like a very good result as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's turned out to be <clears throat> a pretty good decision. I I think th- this will be a really interesting period for Emma now when you consider perhaps like the stability within... Uh, it's boring to go back to these three all the time, but if you consider the gen- general stability between Djokovic, Nadal and Federer, where they've found that person who knows them, and they do make tweaks to their team, You've got Vida, you've got Tony Nadal, who was obviously left in the latter stages of Nadal's career. You've got Severin Lutu with Federer, who's been there a long time as well. You know, having that kind of stable voice. And it I think this this is kind of the interesting part for Emma when she starts hitting the road all the time, which she's not really experienced, is is the monotony of like you have to travel with this person quite a lot, a long time, go for dinner, you have to work together or whatever. You know, it's a lot of time to spend with one other person um so while mixing up your team is good i think it'll be quite a good thing for her to find a sort of solid base uh, to build on but that doesn't seem to be in the plan at the minute um we'll find out if that happens i guess um i, I think the, the experience thing is it's a bit of an anomaly like what I, I always think that experience is the most overrated commodity in sport um and when we're on she wants an experienced coach like well, what about a coach who's won a grand slam with a player like the one you just sacked um, yeah. or the one you just released. But in terms of, it also worries me that, that she wants someone with WTA experience, right? I can say with great certainty that the coaching, the level of coaching in the women's top 100 is the worst level of coaching in all of tennis. Um, it, it really is. And that's not to say that there aren't some excellent coaches there. I think the lad win for set, is obviously a good coach. He tends to win. He tends to improve players whenever he coaches them. Um, I forget his name, but the Spanish guy who used to coach Joe Conta and now coaches Katie Swan. 
Um, I forget his name, but it'll, it'll come to me. But then there are some, for want of a better word, absolute frauds there who we can't name them on here, but I think we know who I'm talking about. Someone who <laughs> might have coached um, Naomi Osaka before and um, one of the police covers now, maybe. Um, uh, the Spanish guy is Jose Manuel Garcia, I assume you mean? No, it's not him. Esteban um, Carril. Esteban Carril, that's the one. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just one of those of like, what what is experience? What what does it bring? Um, so I'm, I'm just a bit wary of that uh, when you say you bring experience. More on that later, I'm sure. It's team time, although it's not time for team. It's time for team to stop te- time. His team have taken the rest of the year off. It's time time off for t- t- George. Sort me out. Yeah, he's kind of uh, kind of done, isn't he? For a bit. Uh, <laughs> well, he's not. Hang on, hang on. We're not breaking a story there. He's not retired. He's 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 done for twenty twenty one. Yeah, and it's it's brought the end to a very. It was quite an odd statement, wasn't it? Like where he's a bit like. Well, I couldn't really keep up with it um, because there was lots of sort of oh, I didn't want to talk about this, but now I'm going to have to. And and he was it, there was lots of like dangling particles that made it very confusing. Um, and I, I just, if I'm honest, I, I lost faith in it. Yeah, and I was kind of thinking like maybe there's been a load of reporting about this in Austria and Germany where this is, or, you know, those countries where this has been like a really big deal this year. But I'm sitting here like, I've not really given this a second thought beyond this guy was a bit out of form, had a bit of a foot problem, and now he's got a wrist problem. And yeah. That kind of sums up his year. Um, rather than he needs to reveal everything because the press have got a hold of it. Um, I'm not really sure anyone really cares, to be honest. But I, I'm looking forward to his clarifications, and then I'm sure I'll be very excited by all of it. Mm. I mean, it is, it is disappointing, you know, for him to have had such a poor year, both in terms of form and then in terms of injury, because I do think he had something to the top five in the world, partly that I think he is as as good, if not better, at beating the likes of Djokovic. I think he is like, he has the grind, the grit, which some of them have lacked. Um, and I think that had he been fit all year, the Djokovic super slam story might have been a little bit different. So I also think he, I like him. Like, I think he comes across well. He's a pretty honest guy. He's been through a lot. You know, he came through Gunther Bresnik, which, you know, is basically something I will always respect someone for doing. So I'd just like to see him back, really. Yeah, and I think, again, he's got a good playing style that matches up well against different players. And he can, yeah. you know, he's got a really nice one-handed backhand, but in itself is quite a unique one-handed backhand, as Calvin will talk about his recovery off that shot. is like amazing when you're kind of watching it. Um, yeah, I think it, it's a great shame because he, he was really comfortably the third best player in the world last year and arguably comfortably the second best player above Nadal um, and only Djokovic was slightly ahead of him on all points and I, I picked him to be world number one this year slamless world number one um, mm. obviously has not happened but I thought he was going to really kind of tear up a lot of events and put himself in some grandstand finals and maybe not quite get over the line but be there or thereabouts all year and apart from Wimbledon, where we know he's struggled historically. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because he's, I think he's a, a good 
foil to other players in the toy, even if he's not necessarily the most exciting character in his own right as in terms of a personality. Yeah. Well, I think that's unfair. Like I said, I, I, I think he's really nice. I don't nice. think he's a personality, but I don't think he's like, you know, the only story he's I can think of... He's not Stefan City Pass, is that what you're trying to say? He's not... The only story I can think you know, where he made headlines towards <clears throat> actual kind of news was kind of when he went after Serena Williams at the French Open. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the weird made kind of random headlines for like swearing at fans. Um, Ferov is making headlines for all the wrong reasons. So I'm not saying that's a, a good thing, but he yeah. he was before all that touted as a bit of a poster boy, which I, I would say team never kind of never has been in many ways because he was kind of stuck in those generations. Um, but yeah. Very good. Uh, we wish we wish Dominic team well, as as I think we all do. We all want to see him back. He's a is a valuable addition to the tour, and he plays well on multiple surfaces. And um, we are a little bit short of time, and there's lots more to get through, which I, I do want to hear Calvin on in particular. Um, <laughs> maybe may the not 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 to bait him, but because Liam Brody won his first challenger title, and that's that's a, a massive deal. And I know that you know him very well, Calvin, and and. Uh, you know, think he's made a lot of progress. He's up to a career high. I think next week he's going to go up to 125. I mean, just can you sum up how significant that that win is? I think it's very big for Liam uh, because he's he's not won a challenger before. Actually, he's been a very 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 good challenger player. Um, mm. I think that was his eighth final um, mm. that he's been in. But he's never been favourite in any of the others. Um, he's always been quite a quite a big underdog in all the other finals he's been into. Um, and I watched quite a bit of him last week. Watched most of his matches actually. He played doubles with Luke, who I coach. Um, they made the semis um, of the doubles, and then I didn't watch the final yesterday as it happened. Um, I was away, but um, yeah, I'm just over the moon for him. He's just a, a great lad, um, one of the very best lads in British tennis. Hugely charismatic, um, great fun, gets on with everybody. Um, and yeah, he's, he's done the hard yards, and I think he's up to a career high now. I think one two six, but I think in the mm. race he's eighty nine. I think eighty nine. Yeah, the eighties. Yeah, um, and that sort of signifies, I think, that if if the rankings would have been working as they normally would by mm. now, he'd have been top one hundred. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, is there so, any reason? Is there? I mean, you know, we talked a little bit kind of semi-jokingly about fitness and how he said he could get fitter, but you think he's already pretty darn fit. I mean, is there anything that has changed or is it just one of those things and form goes up and down? His forehand's got a bit better um, than it was. He's always had some... In juniors, he had a phenomenal forehand. And then mm. for one reason or another, I don't think he's ever, in inverted commas, made a technical change, but it just kind of slipped out of out of shape massively to the extent where... At the Battle of the Brits just over a year ago, he was playing with an Eastern grip forehand. Um, mm. he's, he's made some change on it. It's still not a huge shot, but it's not as it's 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 a bit more consistent than it used to be. Um, he, he's just a very he's, he's just a very good player and a hell of a competitor. That's the thing with Broads is he loves playing, he loves competing. Um, so that once you've got that in the locker, then you can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, he's a lefty, got a pretty decent serve. He's just yeah, it's just I'm just just glad he's there, but it's just just hope he can now make the next step to top 100. Yeah, so obviously, I mean, top 100 would start getting in main draws into slams, which I guess would be a big deal. You know, he's not played a huge amount of Grand Slam tennis. I mean, 
he he's a guy who can win rounds at slams and and think about you know top seventy five, top fifty in the world. Yeah, well, he's won rounds at slam, doesn't he? He's won a um, couple at Wimbledon, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he definitely won a round at Wimbledon this year. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, if he, he could definitely um, he, he needs the right matchups. I think Broads to be able to against certain types of players, he's a nightmare to play against. Um, and against another type of player, I think he'll always struggle. Um, I think the guys who can just blow him off the court, um, he's always going to struggle with that because he, he kind of has his his game. And I think I do think he can add to his game, by the way, and change that. But I'm talking about as it is now. Um, if you can't blow him off the court, he's a nightmare for you because he's not going to miss. He's going to make a lot of balls. He's going to be in your face. He's going to get pumped up. Um, and he's just going to outcompete a lot of players. That's Calvin's pitch to be his coach, no doubt. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, not. it's not. I know his coach very well. He's a friend of mine. It's Dave Stammel, so it's definitely not that. Well, he probably needs someone to carry his bags. I'm sure you do a great job, Calvin. Don't, don't sit down on yourself. Um, other good news for Brits this week, uh, Andy Murray going well in Mets. Uh, Calvin mentioned the tournament there. Uh, I almost went, actually. It's very accessible by train from London, quite weirdly. Um, he beat Ugo Umber in a match that Ugo Umber pretty much controlled, um, and that's why he lost. Uh, he beat Vasek Pospisil in straight sets and then uh, lost to Hubert Hercats, who I believe went on to win the title. Uh, so no shame in that at all. George, you will have watched a fair bit of uh, Murray, I'm sure, and even if you haven't, you can bluff it and just pretend you did anyway. Um, I, did, I did watch a lot of it this week. Good, good. Well done, I believe you. <laughs> you should see him, fingers crossed in the air right now. Um, uh, how do you kind of assess that? Dare we whisper that Andy Murray's finding some form? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I remember I watched it is because I looked at my WhatsApp, the chat we've opened up to uh, the world, it seems, this evening. <laughs> um, and I saw you two talking about Murray and how he was struggling. And I expected to look at my phone, particularly, sorry, to turn on the TV and having predicted Murray to beat her um, Humbert last week, um, I was expecting to see Murray kind of like five mil down or something. And he was like four all. I was like, this doesn't seem so bad. Um, mm-hmm. I watched it from there and obviously Humbert took the first set. Uh, did kind of seem slightly better from that point at first but then just played some awful games in there and I, I think Murray played fine but he was missing so many opportunities on break points where he'd set up a break point and not do anything with it that seemed very out of character but Humbert was doing everything he possibly could to be broken I mean some of the four <laughs> he missed in that game were astonishing like I couldn't get over it um and then Murray did break and started running away with the third and got a little bit tighter towards the end. But I, I think that performance combined with um, the Sissipas performance at the US Open, um, and then he's obviously backed up this Humber win and given a good account of himself against Hercats, um, probably deserved to win that first set. Um, and he lost on a breaker in the end. And then, you know, Hercats was probably a bit too strong in the end. But this is been the best spell of Murray for a while against top-level opposition. Um, So that's encouraging. If he stays fit, then I think he's playing a better level of tennis than we've seen since he won Antwerp. That's a big if still, but I'm cautiously optimistic again, James, which is normally when it goes wrong. Yeah, I'm very surprised to see him in San Diego this week. 
Um, just really from a practical standpoint, like going from the US Open, I mean, obviously it's a long time ago now, but to go US Open, training block UK, play in Northern France a couple of times, back over to San Diego, just seems like a lot of transatlantic kind of movement, which feels like a bit, you know, a few risks involved, especially with kind of COVID and international travel at the moment. But anyway, you know, he his schedule is kind of up to him and very much of the wind. I get the feeling that he suddenly believes he can get his ranking up to a much better position and start getting himself some easier draws. Um, so I kind of feel like there's a bit of an argument from his side, if he's physically right, to get out there, make sure you're winning a first round or two. If you run into someone really top, don't he probably, I, I haven't seen the draw for San Diego, but I'm imagining. He's got Kane Ishikori in the first round, which I think is oh, a bit. Yeah, sorry, I've seen that draw, but I mean, I haven't seen the extended draw beyond that. I see. Um, so, you know, Nishikori is going to be a tough match. But I think that's a bad draw. I mean, I don't know about you, Calvin, but I think that's a pretty bad draw for Murray, isn't it? Uh, I think I don't know who else is in the tournament. He's got a pretty good record against Nishikori. He lost him at the US Open. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a nightmare because I think that, as we said in our WhatsApp group, that, again, similar to what I just said about Broads, actually, that the, the players who Murray's going to struggle against are the ones who get the first strike in against him. Right, yeah. he still, he doesn't, he's, he's playing some good stuff, like George said, and I think he's, he's, he's starting to play more aggressive, which I think he's got to do if he's going to have any sort of continuation in his career from here, but he still looks really out of sorts when the first, when the other guy gets the first strike in because he can only really do that um, slice backhand. And he's got a pretty good slice backhand, but the best players are going to take that away from him. But I don't see Nishikori having the firepower to really do him that much damage. But he's a good player, Nishikori. That's, that's the other side of it. Um, he's not going to go to pieces like Hugo and Bear did. Um, but... I don't think style-wise, I don't think it's that bad a matchup for him. No, I agree. And I think Casper Rude in the next round is a good draw for Murray at the minute on the half court. Mm. I'd, I'd give him a very good chance of winning that if he comes through unscathed against Nishikori. Um, he's not the only Brit out playing in San Diego. Uh, Cam Norrie is there too. He's got Dominic Kurtfoot in the first round. And Dan Evans is up against Sun Woo Kwon. Uh, the Korean who won his first title. He's up to number 57 in the world, having won his first title uh, last week. Please volunteer all of the knowledge that you respectively have about Sun Woo Kwon now or forever hold your peace. Well, Sun Woo Kwon has taken on kind of cult figure status. I, I moved house two weeks ago, but in my previous household, um, one of my friends there, he, uh, he is kind of, low-key obsessed with Su Gu uh, Um Not in terms of he likes tennis at all, but because he started playing our fantasy game and he is his permanent pick. <laughs> it's, it's worth saying this guy has also pretty much consistently come in the bottom five in every single one of fantasies. I wouldn't advise right. this for future fantasy players. Um, but I think he won a couple of matches, maybe the French and kind of picked right. Few points. Um, he so, won one match at Wimbledon, which yeah. may well be. So he had a few. He won, like, two, he won two matches at the French. He won two matches at the, two French. Matches at the French. There we go. Um, so I, I sent him that result, and he was absolutely delighted earlier. Um, so mm. 
talking about building tennis to a global audience. Uh, my uninterested housemate loves uh, CP1. I believe he's only the second uh, South Korean player to win an ATP tour title. So congratulations to him. He beat James Duckworth in the final. I mean, some good results on there, by the way, in Astana. He beat um, Dusan Lejevic, Laszlo Jair, Alexander Bublik on home soil. You know, then no mugs here. So, um, you know, it's, it's by no means a soft tournament for him to go, go and win. He's only 23 um so yeah kind of high hopes for him it would be great to see someone from that part of the world you know make a breakthrough as we say building building the global game um, and just finally one more title to tell you about Annette Kontovite uh, our very favorite Estonian player possibly um she picked up the title in Ostrava which is quite a, quite a good field in Ostrava by the way she beat and I think this is one of the better runs you'll hear on a, a WTA tournament this time of year she beat Serana Kostea, Paolo Bedosa, Belinda Bencic, Petra Kvitova, and Maria Sakari. She didn't drop a set. She barely, she didn't even go to a tie break. I mean, she's absolutely crushed that. Um, she's up. So she was, uh, off the top of my head, 35 in the world. So she must be up, yeah, up to 22. Still not her career high of 14. Um, I mean, Georgia, I'm not going to get hugely excited about Annette Kontovite anytime soon, but... It's nice to see a different name, and she's beaten some very good players there. Yeah, I, I like Hans White. I've, I've interviewed her before. She was really nice. Um, obviously, had the British link with Nigel Sears being her coach before as well. Um, mm. so she's now with Dmitry Tursunov, would you believe it? Do you know my the thing that always comes to my head when I think of Dmitry Tursunov? Um, is it Meatball Marinara Sub? No. Right. I just be? picked the most random thing I could think of because oh, right. I know how your brain works. It's, it's in kind of within the tennis framework, but <laughs> a very newsy story was John McEnroe saying Serena Williams would be the world number yeah. 804. Oh, this story, like yeah. And um, people looked at the rankings during the story to say who that would be. And it was Tersenov, and he was a former, world, I believe he got to like world number four. Possibly. Well, uh, yeah, it's about that. It would be there or thereabouts. Is that around that? So it was quite a well, fun number... name to pick out because normally you're expecting that to be a complete To no be someone you've never heard of, yeah. <laughs> you just picked out someone who actually had made a pretty decent career. Um, on my favourite Estonia, by the way, I, I, I was, I was going to say, I, I quite like Kaya Kanepi. Quite good. I mean, I, this yeah. is the, why I said probably because I am a big Kaya Kanepi fan. Also, she is... you won a title yesterday, James, at ITF level of Google's telling me. Uh, I do know who won an ITF title yesterday, and I can't remember his name. Go on. No, Carl Kadepi did. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. <laughs> Sorry, someone someone else won a title yesterday. I mean, there's so much. Weirdly, <laughs> for a real dead area of the year, I feel like there are a lot of tournaments going on. Um, it has been a busy week, uh, and that's all we've got time for because I think George has got a date, judging by the fact that he's had two beers and he's got a posh shirt on, and has told me he has to get. <laughs> right so just just tell us in a in a sentence why you've got to be away at half seven um good question well yeah it's 100 percent a date so it's not a date i've got a girlfriend but so i thought yeah you can to... take her out you know and they're still called well, dates. out oh right got you sorry i thought you meant i had a fresh date i wouldn't wear it <laughs> just go out with my girlfriend now like sorry i wouldn't wear a shirt just wear my girlfriend now this is office attire james well well, okay. Um, well, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, apart from George's personal life, which I never like hearing too much about. 
Um, if you're new to the podcast, I know there are lots of you, please do make sure you're following us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. That way you'll get all the latest from George's personal life and notifications when the new pod comes out. Uh, other than that, remains nothing to be said. And please leave us a rating and a review and only nice ones and take care of yourself. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.